Cheers to the water, apparently. Um, but we're here with Float.com founders, co-founders, Leah and Brad, Winnipeg's largest flotation center at 337 Pemina Highway in Winnipeg, Manitoba, for all you listeners out there and, and viewers on YouTube. Uh, and it's a place where you can disconnect to reconnect. That's something I read on your website and really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. uh, through flotation therapy and sensory deprivation. So maybe to start us off, what is floating and what got you interested in floating? Yeah, for sure. Uh, floating floating's interesting. It, it has a really colorful history. It's been around for over 60 years. It was originally created by a clinical psychologist uh, and neuroscientist named Dr. John C. Lilly. So this goes back to 1955-ish era. And, you know, that was kind of Cold War times. And and there's uh, he, he was kind of, you know, there's some different camps at the time of what this thing we call consciousness was. And some people thought that uh, it was simply a manifestation of our interaction of our nervous system with the outside world. And that's kind of what makes us, you know, have that person in our head that makes us conscious. And some people thought if you were to reduce that stimulus coming into our nervous system down to nothing or as close to nothing as possible, that you would actually go into, you'd either go unconscious, uh, you might fall asleep. Some people thought you would die and it would just completely like shut your system down. And he's like, nah, no, don't think any of that stuff's going to happen. And so he was one of the first researchers to attempt to test this. And he was a very, somebody who was very, um, uh, very ethical kind of in his practice, uh, practice as a scientist, uh, especially in, in his, uh, in his later years. And so he used himself as a guinea pig. He took an old Navy diving tank one of those upright ones, I have pictures of this even. And uh, he heated the water to what he calls skin receptor neutral. So it's about 94 roughly or 93 and a half degrees Fahrenheit. It's warm, but it's below body temperature. And uh, he took like a diving bell, blacked it out, had uh, his, his science partner make sure he was okay and get an air and all that. And he used himself and he went into this thing. He thought initially he was going to have a um, bit of a panic attack and maybe, you know, freak out a little bit. And he actually very quickly found that he felt really uh, calm, relaxed, euphoric, kind of started smiling and giggling to himself a little bit. And he was like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is not what I expected happening. And from there on, he started studying what he termed as sensory deprivation. And it got a lot of uh, press at the time, and there's a lot of really mixed information about it because some of the studies that they were doing on sensory deprivation at the time were really, um, they were they were really unorthodox. Like they would put you in like a hospital bed, and they would put cardboard tubes on your limbs and an eye mask on and strap you down. And the initial reactions were people were freaking out, obviously, and they weren't able to make it through a long duration in this in this state that they were in. When you think back on it, it's like, well, of course, like these people, their free will is taken away. They literally can't move and they're com they're isolated and they're not even really being deprived or in in uh, what we call it reducing of stimulation coming in because they got all this stuff around them there's medical equipment around them it's a very unrelaxing serene kind of environment and so this kind of got some of the bad um, press and bad stigmas and then in around the um, mid-70s or so uh, John C. Lilly hooked up with an engineer named uh, Glenn Perry 
and uh, and his wife, who are still around today and still very heavily involved in the float industry, and they're amazing, super sweet people um, that we've actually had the privilege to meet on a number of occasions. And uh, he was an engineer, and so they devised the first float tank, and it was called the Samadhi tank, and that was using Epsom salt to create this really buoyant solution. Initially, it was just water, and so now we use you know a very, very saturated solution of Epsom salt to create this buoyant environment, which is why it's called a float tank and why you can float without any effort. Still heated up to that same skin temperature, um, and then the float tank itself is created in a way that creates an environment that helps reduce stimulus coming into your nervous system. Um, so that's kind of what floating is and a little bit of you know the history. It was studied scientifically all the way through the 80s uh, and, and in the 90s and even in the 2000s now, and there's some brand new research centers opening now who are really heavily involved in the, in the scientific research uh, fields of studying you know, sensory deprivation or rest, as it's called in the science world. It stands for Restricted Environmental Stimulation Therapy or Stimulation Technique, whichever one. Um, and, uh, and like I said, the purpose of a float tank is to reduce stimulus coming into your nervous system, and it does help you get into really deep states of, of relaxation or meditation with very little effort or even knowledge of knowing how to meditate. It is kind of like meditation on training wheels in a lot of way for people, that, and they get to experience that um, because most people who try to meditate, they never get to the place that they read about in literature or articles about these people achieving these enlightened Zen states. And, and uh, you know, most people know they're never going to be a Buddhist monk. Um, and so it's important that people can experience some of this so they know it's just, it's not this woo-woo, hippy-dippy type thing that only people who are living on a mountaintop in a monastery can achieve. It's something that everyday people can benefit from and, and it really can enhance um, it really can enhance a lot of people's lives in different ways, for sure. Yeah, that's uh, our experience, I would say. I don't know, I can't speak for Jace, but it was very similar to that. And I almost found that there was two ways that you could use a flotation tank, and even two ways. I, I did find it a, a meditative experience, and I've had some, some experience with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, it, it seems that there's two sort of places that you can go. You can do the active meditation or sort of a passive meditation. So active being, and I find that I typically do this where I let my thoughts go wherever they go. And then if I, if I go on a tangent for too long, I'll bring myself back, back to my breath and just let that take over the experience. Mm -hmm. But I can see for the relaxation aspect, if you are focusing on your breathing, um, I think it's Shavasana, yogic style breathing where you're just focusing on the breath, that it would help you let go and just be that stress release and feel that nothingness. So it was, it was interesting to see that you could take it maybe different ways even in that flotation tank too. Uh, so I did want to know also how you got started with float.com and, and what inspired that beginning as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wait, sorry, is it float.com or float.com? It is float.com. Okay, because I thought it's a good it's play a good on words. It's a, it's a good question. <laughs> good it question. is a play on words and it is intentional. Some people call us float.com and that's fine. Some people just call us float. Okay Some people just call us float and that's totally okay too. But float.com was, it was a very intentional play on words. We understand that sometimes it can almost be confusing, especially when we list our website and it's 
floatcom.com and we have to spell it out C-A-L-M and then people will mistag us on social media and they'll tag float.com which is like some manufacturer of like <laughs> of like of like plane floats like for for uh, for taking off off of water they get tagged in our stuff. A they lot. get tagged in our stuff They're a lot. Very, they no must really. be like, who the hell are these float dots? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> this uh, relaxation thing that we're getting tagged in. I like it though. It's a it's a good play on words, and I thought it would meant that way, but then people were saying to me, "Float calm," and there was like that pause yeah. in there. I was like, okay, maybe it is that way. Yeah, no, it is definitely float dog, and it is a play on words. Um, you know, one of the um, one of the kind of things that got us into doing this was that both of us come from a background of um you know i was in the technology world um you know i was a programmer for years i was in healthcare technology specifically specifically cancer therapy and uh and working for a very big really good company that wanted to really help people um uh with their their cancer treatment uh in a very literal way and I got exposed to some things that kind of tainted my view of that world in a lot of way. And it really was a internal struggle for me of, of I'm giving a very large portion of my time and my energy to this company and to this cause that at the same time, on the other hand, I'm like, uh, this really doesn't feel like we're really doing people we're not really helping people in the right way where it's a very reactive approach to a very proactive kind of, um, uh, it requires a really proactive approach. Taking care of yourself is not something you do after you're sick. You know, it's something that you do before so that you can build sustainability in your life so that you can live the best kind of life that you want to live. And so that was really one of the big catalysts that kind of, for myself got into it and Leah has a very very similar story as well. Yeah, like I worked in the insurance world, um, group benefits and stuff like that. So we both come from, um, you know, businesses that really pushed Western medicine. Not that we're against Western medicine by any means, a time and a place, but, um, you know, we've always been more the people who take a holistic approach to life and to our health and all that kind of stuff. And so it started to, like he said, feel like a bit of an uh, internal conflict um, in our hearts. Just, you know, it wasn't feeding us. And, um, and we wanted to kind of do something different and do our own thing and help people. And, um, and that's where we found floating. And that's kind of what took us there. And we went to Minneapolis. Um, we were going down there for a concert. And that's where we had our first float experience. So you know, we were going down there. We thought, let's see if we can find a place that has a float tank down there. So we did. We found this little wellness center, and they had a, a float tank in the basement, and they just had one. So it was like this three-hour-long to-do. I went. He waited. He went. I waited. Um, and we made this, like, mistake of going from the nothingness of floating to then going to the Mall of America, <laughs> which, you Very know. opposite ends. I know, which in hindsight was a really – it was such a contrast that it was really interesting to pay attention to. So we came out and we felt fantastic. And, um, you know, myself, I've always struggled. Like, I've grown up my whole life with a lot of tummy problems. 
Um, and I just think we all carry our stress somewhere. Some people get headaches. Some people get, you know, whatever it is. And I've always carried my stress in my tummy. And I came out of my float that day, and I had this overwhelming sense of calm in my stomach that I had never, never had before. And um, and that's where I knew, like, I probably I need to be doing this all the time. Um, but, yeah, we went to the Mall of America. And by nature, we're more shy, introverted people. And it was interesting to see how we were the rest of our day. And it was almost like we were magnets to people. We kept having people come up to us at stores, just having conversations with us, random strangers. And this woman actually came up to me and she said to me, you have this glow about yourself. And I looked at Brad and I said, what is going on? Like, we are charming today. (laughs) Charming. And um, yeah, we just started having conversations about how this affected us uh, on more than just a physical relaxed level. There was a lot more going on. And that's where we started kind of like um, researching into the whole float industry and and um, thinking about opening a float center in the city here. And um, one of the first things we did was go, there's an annual float conference every year. Um, up until now, it's always been in Portland. And so we signed up and went to that. And we thought, let's just kind of surround ourselves in this industry and see if, how it feels and how it fits for us and if this is the right way for us to kind of go. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what we did. And we've been here ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. The our very first float there in in the basement of this little wellness center. Um, the first experience I had after my float, um, <laughs> it was it was a very odd setup. There was like the float tank in one room, and then you go through a door, and you're in like a totally separate room. And the shower's in there. You have to shower. There's insane amounts of salt in the in the thing, and you want to shower before you go in a float tank as well, typically. Um, and there's a toilet in there, which is very unusual. Um, and then I come out of that room, I'm all wet and, you know, just freshly dressed. And there's like a geriatric stretching class happening right outside my float tank room. And I'm like, I open the door and it's like probably 10 older people like doing the splits, like right in my face. And I'm like, Whoa! You weren't expecting them. This they were not expecting. Yeah, you're this like wet <laughs> guy who's experience. like God. Yeah, who's got this weird glassy eyed. Yeah, glassy eyed glow coming out, and then you know they're like, "What the heck is going on?" We were both very confused, but that um, that first that first experience definitely um, impacted us in a really uh, strong way, and and like Leah said, we had to we had to start researching this thing. And what the heck it was. Initially, we thought, like, this is cool. Like, can we get one of these in our house? Yeah. Um, that would be nice. Dream. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the dream. I that think we, dream. we still have that. Um, and then we realized after looking into it a bit more and stuff and just what's involved in, in, uh, in it, we're like, oh, like, we'd have to dedicate a room to this and basically rebuild the room so that it the kind room of doesn't get trashed. Yeah. That salt water is invasive and oh, for sure, it will yeah. destroy yeah. any surface. Uh, that that's not prepared for it. So we definitely, um, yeah. So we went from there. We went to the float conference in Portland, um, which was a phenomenal time. It was very small at the time. It was only a couple hundred people. Um, and they did an amazing job just kind of fostering a community and everybody was super warm and welcoming. Um, learned a lot about uh, just what goes into actually starting a float center. We went to like a start your float center kind of workshop that the guys who run the conference put on. And uh, from there we came home and met with Manitoba Public Health and we're like, this is what we want to do. And they're like, what the hell is a float tank? (laughs) (laughs) So I literally drew 
pictures and created like a little package for public health people with photos of float tanks, with how big they are, how much solution is in them, what the filter units look like, because they're concerned with public health, so they want to know how do you clean the solution and, and surfaces and all these things. So I did a whole bunch of documentation for them just so I could so that we could educate them on what the heck this was. Because, you know, and we always say this, like, floating is not new, but it's a new to a lot of people. It's been around for a long time, and um, but a lot of people still don't even know about it. Like, the most, you know, mainstream person that talks about it is, like, guys like Joe Rogan. Yeah. And that's what we hear every now and then is, you know, oh, yeah, I heard about this from Joe Rogan or whatever. Um, but it was uh, it was a big educational process to go through that with public health and, and uh and thankfully, you know, we came out it with really a really good relationship with them, and and were built able the guidelines and built them. and actually wrote the guidelines for safe float tank operation alongside them uh, for Manitoba, so that you know not only we could open, but so that anybody who wanted to do this, that there was already some kind of baseline that you had to hit to make sure, because that's one of the barriers to just even getting into a float tank. So you were the first in Manitoba then. To open a commercial space. There was a couple of people that had like float tanks in their basement kind of thing. Um, but we were the first like commercial space open to the public that people could come into. How long have you guys been open now? Just over four years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's gone by really quick. Yeah. So what was that process like first opening up and then trying to get people to buy into floating and even educate the public on how this could be part of their self-care routines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, education education is a big, big part of um, what we do, and even to this day, um, because, like he said, it's it's not new, but it's new to a lot of people even still. And even after four years, and we go and we do different events in different ways that we we've gone and done talks at at, um, at Shaw and you know like staff and hydro. and hydro for their staff and stuff like that, and, and just educating. And after four years, it's cool because we've started to see, um, you know kind of the gap close in where, you know, even if someone's never floated before, they at least have heard of it or they know someone who has. Um, where in the beginning, people were like, what? And they would just give this, give you this look like, you want me to do that? Can't I do that in my bathtub? And we still get that every once in a while. It's like, no, man, you can't do that in your bathtub. You're not doing that in your bathtub. <laughs> no, you're not going to put that much salt down your drain. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, and educating in and of itself has its own challenges because, um, you know, the number one thing that we always get is what if I'm claustrophobic? And, and I think it's kind of funny because if you actually look at the, the true stats, it's like, 1% legit of the population is legitimately claustrophobic. Yeah, but as soon as you start talking about floating, it's like 90% of the people are, are claustrophobic. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of helping people, um, you know, unpack some of their own fears and understand them a little bit more and where it comes from and work through them. Uh, you know, we're, you know, psychologists, sometimes we're therapists to people in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and, and people sometimes legitimately have fears going into new experiences, and I get that. And just helping them feel safe and comfortable about it. Yeah, the claustrophobia thing is definitely one that comes up. I like that you guys lot. have the, uh, the there's a book I saw. I, I kind of just flipped through it. I kind of wanted to look up uh, what the study was. But it's mm -hmm. a book, that study, uh, and it shows, and one of the things in there was the uh, claustrophobia, and it was very small on that chart. 
and you go it kind of goes up into some people having out of body experiences and hallucinations and relaxation was a big one on there. Yeah. And then there's like paranoia. Those were like the very small ones though, at yeah. like the the one end of the spectrum. So yeah. it's interesting that um, claustrophobia comes up first out of people's minds. It definitely came uh, to my mind because I am claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And when I did float, I I thought about keeping the door open or putting the the foam in between the door so that yep. way it was a little yep. bit open but I didn't I was like okay if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna go full in <laughs> and it I felt fine honestly the tank's big enough yeah and even <clears throat> I'm a six foot five guy I'm a huge guy and if I put my arms like all the way stretched out I can touch both ends of the tank but mm-hmm. there's still lots of space and I didn't feel like I was closed in in a tiny space yeah. yeah one of the things that you know is really important for people to understand and we do this a lot when we're at events and at expos and we'll have people like we have a video playing and it gives a tour of our space and stuff so people can like kind of like gauge whether they even want to approach us from a distance and so we get a lot of people who will like stand 20 feet away just locked right in to our to our video and you can just see the look in their face and they're thinking no way, man. Like, no you are not way. getting me into this thing. <laughs> but yet they will not move on. Like, there, there's enough curiosity there that they're like, could I? And then you, and then we engage with them, and they're like, the first thing they say to us is, what if I'm claustrophobic? And we say, well, we have a lot of guests who say they're claustrophobic. One of the things that people need to understand about the float environment is that's what the float tank does. It creates an environment. And that environment is intended to reduce stimulus coming into your nervous system. And to do that, we have to maintain the solution temperature and the air temperature and the humidity level very precisely so that when you're in there and you stop moving, you stop feeling that sensation of the environment uh, coming in through your tactile sensations and you feel almost as if you're kind of levitating. And so we don't put a lid on the float tank to freak people out. We put a lid on the float tank so that it helps control the air temperature, the humidity level, and it doesn't introduce any drafts or anything like that. And then we can provide that consistent environment. And almost like the bigger the environment is, the more challenging it is to create that consistent environment. Um, Then the the bigger the area is of air, the harder it is to control that temperature of air. Then you start introducing uh, complaints about people feeling a draft or they're cold or you just can't get that. Or They're too cold, they're too hot because the heater kicks on and then it doesn't shut off in time. And so like, you know, we know from experience, literally, a half or a quarter degree Fahrenheit, which is a very small fraction of a degree Celsius, affects how people perceive the environment in a really great way. We can have one person go in, or sorry, we can have the same person go into a float tank at say 94 degrees, which is a comfortable temperature for most people. They will come out and say it was really cool and it was cold. We can turn it up a half a degree or a quarter degree and they'll come out and be like, oh, that was perfect. It is such a small amount. It's a very finicky environment. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's kind of crazy. And and like to to what you guys are saying too, even our float tanks, like they're not small. They're over eight and a half feet long and they're four and a half feet wide. The lid on them isn't like a tanning bed where it's in your face. There's enough space yeah. around you that I can yeah, that was the first thing I noticed is like I put my hand up and like I had to put my hand all the way up to even touch. Uh, the roof of it exactly exactly and so i can crouch down and i can like walk inside the float tank and i think 
people who have never seen one before in real life, they they immediately go to that Simpsons episode where they're like in this little capsule and Homer gets shipped off to Mar- uh, Mexico <laughs> or whatever it is. And, and, or they go to the tanning bed scenario or an MRI machine. That's another one people get a lot. I, I know that my dad is super, uh, he's had to have an MRI a couple of times and they have to sedate the guy. And it's like, you know, he's not a fearful uh, person, but there's certain trigger points. And so for people who have had those experiences in the past, it then becomes a trigger for them. And, when it's and almost ridiculous, actually, to compare the float experience to having an, an MRI, MRI, because yeah. MRI, first of all, you're not going there for good times. No. <laughs> no. Well, and it's a really closed space. And, and it's, it's a real, very And your free yeah. will is taken away. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you're not in control of your environment. You can't move at all. Like, everything about yeah. it is exactly the, the opposite. opposite of what we do, but people like to sometimes um, marry those things together, which is yeah. really unfortunate because then it's a lot harder for us to help them overcome that kinds of stuff. Yeah. But I think also what's really important um, for people to know as well is that, you know, when people come to see us for the first time, we're really intentional with giving everyone a really nice tour of our whole space and a really nice introduction um, in their float room and giving people different ways to work with their comfort zone. You know, like you said, if you are apprehensive, you know, um, about closing the door, different ways to leave it propped open, you know, you could leave it all the way open, but then you risk introducing that draft cooling the water, you know, your body cooling, and that's no fun either, right? So making people aware that this is why, you know, we recommend you close it, but work your way to it. And if you are if you have apprehension about the, the darkness, we have little glow balls that people like to take in with them, like their little float buddies. Nice. Um, and people love those. It's like almost having like your little glow-in-the-dark uh, rubber ducky with them. And it's interesting because, you know, people take it in with them because it makes them feel better that they have it. 10 minutes in, they realize, oh, like, actually, I'm laying in here with my eyes closed anyways. And Mm -hmm. they put it together, but I think it's just helping them kind of overcome. Getting to that comfort level. Exactly. And and that comfort zone. I think back to, for a long time, I wanted to try yoga, even through my teens. And it took till after I played football through university. So my my body took a beating through that time. and, And then it was working in an office job and having back pain at 25 or 24 and went, let's do something proactive about this. And I always knew that I should be stretching more. I should be doing something self-care oriented to help this. And it took a long time to just get comfortable enough to, you know, to be new at something, knowing yes. that I would be going in. Yes, I'm athletic, but I knew stretching would be a very difficult and different task. So similarly, the float experience for people, it's getting to that point where maybe they're curious that that 20 feet back, but but once they get to know about it and know the benefits and, and know exactly what it entails and, and even know that you can bring a float ball in there or something or, yeah. or a glow-in-the-dark ball that, like, creates that comfort so that you can release into the experience and you can fully enjoy it, too. So At your own pace. A hundred percent at your own pace. And it's, it's not like you're locked in there. No. Like for those thinking of trying it and are scared of claustrophobia, if, you, if it does happen, like... You, Open the door. <laughs> open the door. It's you not like you're locked out. in. And then <laughs> you're that, stuck in there that, for an that hour. That like half. harks back to the you know the early sensory deprivation experiences, and they associated sensory deprivation with this feeling of panic and and uh, people going crazy or mind control and stuff like that. And <laughs> and it's simply because they had their free will taken away. And same thing with an MRI. Your free will's gone. You're stuck in there. You are not allowed to move, or you're strapped down and you can't move. That's a very different experience. And also knowing why you're there. And also knowing why you're there, which is already anxiety-inducing. Yeah. And so I think it's, uh, you know, just 
for people to know, like, you're in total control. You want to get out anytime, you want to pop the door, go ahead. Like, we are not, uh, nobody's judging you but yourself. And that's, it's, you know, with anything new uh, in life that you're trying to challenge yourself with, sometimes the biggest, hardest things is just kind of making that first step and, and actually walking in the door. Kind yeah. Of thing. And, and speaking to your experience with yoga, like, people have to wait until they're ready um, and I, I think this is the same thing with floating. You can't uh, drag someone there kicking and screaming. It's not going to be a good time. And I remember um, we had, um, I had a woman call and book in for her and her husband one time, and she was surprising him with the float. I guess he'd always been curious and interested, but she was surprising him with it. And, and I thought, oh, okay, that, that's a nice present, thinking that, that he would know when he's coming, like at least when he's coming. But she walked him up to the building blindfolded. Oh. I'm like, you don't. Give, let someone get mentally prepared for their first float experience. I was yeah. like, bro, like you're just. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, you're yeah. setting this guy up. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. He did awesome, though. He did awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would take a while to come back down from the surprise and actually get comfortable enough to do yeah. it. The yeah. other the other skeptical side, I've heard from it after I've done it and I've told people about it. And they're like, oh, how long did you go? 30 minutes, 60 minutes? And I was in there for 90 minutes. And I'm like, that seems like such a long time. I feel like I'd get bored. Yeah, totally. And the craziest, craziest thing to me is like, I thought that too going in. And then the music came on and I was like, there's no way it's been 90 minutes. And I get out and look at my, uh, my cell phone sitting on the, the side there. And yeah, it's been 90 minutes. It literally felt like 20 minutes I was in there at it most. It goes it's, by so fast. And I think that's a hard thing to... Um, to explain to people, and you don't really know until you get your butt in that tank, right? Um, when you get into that really deep, relaxed, meditative state, um, it does, it goes by fast. And we have a lot of people now who come and do back-to-back sessions with us. They go in for three hours. We have a few people who consistently do triple, so they go in for four and a half. The longest we've had is a guy who came in and he did a, a seven and a half hour float with us. Whoa. But think about it, like, I know. <laughs> I know. We, we, that, we, we say, too, this is not a competition. The, <laughs> this is not, like, let's see Record. Competitive yeah. floating. Competitive, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I remember we were working that day when he came in, and he's a regular floater with us, and he's uh, it wasn't his first time. He's very intentional. It was how he spends yeah. his time, and he was doing a lot of really intentional work, and which is why he, he did a long float that day. But we were working when he... Um, when he came in and we were home that evening and I was like, dude, that guy's still in the tank, man. <laughs> it was like hours later. Um, but, um, but yeah, think of it like when you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, it doesn't feel like eight hours went by. Right. Yet it did. Yeah. And it's not that you're falling asleep often. It's that. Although sometimes. Although sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another very common question um, that we get is what if I fall asleep in there? I've had but great you, naps. But you're, but you're getting into like a, you're getting into a different state of, of consciousness. You are getting into almost, I, I describe it kind of like a little bit of a dreamlike state. You know, when you're laying in bed at nighttime and you're falling asleep, oftentimes you'll have like these little brain waves of ideas or solutions to problems that you've been working on that come to you right before you fall asleep. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, damn, what was that idea? That was really good. And it's hard to bring it back because you're, you're in this different, your, your brain waves are changing. They're going into your, into your sleep brain waves. But before then you hit this, this band, it's called the theta brainwave state. And that's, that's this area that you can kind of get into when you're in a float tank. And it's also the area really, you know, experienced meditators and stuff can get to and sustain in a float tank. You can sustain that while staying fully conscious and aware of your thoughts without immediately falling into a sleeping state. And when you're in that kind of really relaxed state of consciousness, 
time doesn't pass normally. It's a hard thing to explain to people. Like you can just verbalize and say it doesn't feel like 90 minutes. But to your point, like majority of people who come out, they're like, whoa, like I felt like I was in there for half an hour. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, my notion of time is not the same, especially considering I'm not bombarded by all these things that are constantly reminding me of the time. I don't have my watch. I don't have my phone. I don't have these messages constantly coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have anything to kind of base time on anymore. It's just your, you and your thoughts, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, um, exactly. You have no reference point. Yeah. Your reference points are kind of gone. And I think it's, uh, and also, you know, and this is something that happened to you, your first float. Um, you become aware of things when you're in the float tank. You become aware of, of where your mind will go when it's kind of left unhinged. And, you know, for some people, they obsess about time. They're like, how long has it been? Do I have 10 minutes left? Do I have this? Do I have that? That was me. That was you. And I was like, you guys, I do this all the time in the real world, too. Holy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Time came up a couple of times in my mind just to go. It was almost a reference point. I went, how much longer do I have left? Because I knew I wanted to enjoy it. But then focusing on that too much, you would waste time and energy towards being like, how much time do I have left? So it was just allowing my brain to circle and come back and think of things and sort through problems. So I found yeah. it was it was nice to just sit there. And then there would be those couple of times where I might touch the edge and just push off or like play with the water for a little bit too. Totally. So it was, it was, there was a little bit of that play element, but then there yeah. was also the, the focus on certain things in my own, in my own mind. So I did want to know as well, um, what the most effective way to use this as part of a self-care routine would be. Yeah, um, before we touch on that, I just wanted to kind of maybe touch on why we do 90 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I I think that that's important as well to talk about. Um, You know, most of the studies that they do on uh, on floating, they pretty much always use 90 minutes as a benchmark. Every once in a while, they'll use one hour, but they pretty much usually use 90 minutes. And for a few reasons, first of all, and and especially your first time, um, it could take you 30 to 40 minutes sometimes just to get the heck out of your own head, right? and, you know, kind of struggling to get away from that monkey mind a little bit. So we want you to have that opportunity to get into that really relaxed place and then to stay there for a while and enjoy that as opposed to you just get there and boom, you're out right away. Um, So that's the reason why we do 90 minutes. Um, And I, I think... You know, one hours are okay, and I, I honestly feel like anything less than that is is almost doing a disservice to the person. To the person, I don't want you to go in and just spend half an hour with your monkey mind, and then get out, and that's all you experienced. And then you're going to be like, "Well, that was no fun." Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, and also, like, if someone wants to get out a little bit early, that's okay too. Like, take what you need, leave the rest. Um, but to speak to to, I think you said your friend was like, "What would I do?" I, I feel like I would get bored. Yeah. We always say like, if you don't want to spend ninety minutes with yourself, who the heck else is going to want to? <laughs> <Yeah. you? laughs> true. Very true. Um, you did mention some people going longer, up to yeah. over seven hours in the tank. Yeah. Um, are there any detrimental effects of being in the Epsom salts for that long? Some people ask, like, um, even for the ninety minutes, and this is very common when we're we're having face to face conversations. They'll say things like. Oh my God! You must be so pruny when you come out. You know what I mean? Like your your skin pruning up, like if you're in a bathtub or a swimming pool for a long time. But it doesn't. It no. doesn't exactly. And because so it's that's one of the things I noticed coming out. I'm like, oh, not I'm not. I you're not pruny at all. Because usually the fingertips are the first place where you get pruny, right? Exactly. And it's because there's such a high concentration of Epsom salt in there. There's literally no there. There's there's very little water. Uh, that's actually wicking into your skin to cause that pruning effect. 
you are getting benefits from the Epsom salt as well. Like Epsom salt is magnesium sulfate. Magnesium is, Epsom salt is 10% magnesium. So you're literally floating in a solution that has over 80 pounds of magnesium in it. And so we actually have a few nutritionists that will send in their, uh, in, in their patients for magnesium supplementation when they do blood work or whatever and they find out that they're low because you can absorb magnesium easier through your skin than you can orally through your digestive tract. And this is why there's magnesium creams and ointments and sprays and all this stuff that are meant for topical use because you can absorb it directly through your skin. And so you get kind of some of these side benefits of a super saturated concentration of Epsom salt um, without having to, you know, put 100 pounds of Epsom salt in your bathtub at home. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, as far as other detriments to being in the environment oh, that yeah. long. No, no, not that we're aware of. I mean, we we've known people. Um, I think this happened last year at the float conference. There's a buddy of ours that went for an overnight float um, while he was at the float conference, and he's like, "Yeah, it wasn't the best idea." He was super <laughs> tired because he didn't sleep very much in the tank, and um, his body was sore. Like your posture, because you're being supported by the Epsom salt solution. Um, it's going to reinforce any bad posture you have. So oftentimes people float with their hands kind of up, and that helps pull your shoulders back and keep you more um, more in line and your spine and neck aligned. If you end up floating with your hands down by your side, what tends to happen is your shoulders want to roll forward. And so if you have already bad posture or anything like that, and you're in there for a really long time in a bad Which position for yourself do. and then fall yeah. asleep, you're going to wake up and you'll be like, I'm sore. And I think that may be what, uh, what happened to him. So other than, you know, maybe a little bit of body soreness from being in there for seven hours, there's not really that we're aware of. And from what we've heard in the industry, we've never heard of any negative effects of being in there for that long. It's really interesting. It seems that there's been a shift in, in North American culture and being more open-minded to Eastern medicines and even more holistic forms of, mm-hmm. of, self-care and even just that that those self-love practices even mm. um and it's and it seemed to be i mean yoga was one of those early adapters and and people seem to like to try it and even knowing that floating has been around this long now too it's it's cool to see this shift and i just wanted to know sort of how you see yourselves as being part of that and and even what what practices sort of led you towards floating like if you were always interested in this or if it was something that just sort of sparked your interest as well. I really like that you talked about self-love because I often think that um, you find a lot of self-love in the float tank. Um, and again, that's a it's another hard thing to kind of put into words or explain, but I think often we lose ourselves in the world because we don't spend enough time with ourselves. We live in a world that um, glorifies busy and you know, glorifies, I don't, I, I only need five hours of sleep a night. And, and just, we don't spend enough time in quiet and with ourselves and we lose who we are because we forget to connect with ourselves. And, um, you know, and it's so important to be able to spend that time. You know, like your friend said, I feel like I would get bored. He's probably someone who maybe needs to have the radio on all the time at home or the TV on in the background. There's just always constant noise because, you know, God forbid we should just like hang out with our own thoughts a little bit and, and not saying anything negative to, to anybody at all. I think our society encourages that and we don't even realize that we're getting lost. And um, 
that's what I find that happens often in the float environment is you get to reconnect with yourself and and find that self-love again because we're no good to anybody else in the world if we're not good to ourselves first. And we have a lot of people who come into flow with us because that's what's happened to them. I'm so busy taking care of my husband's sick or my children or my whatever, da, 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 and I started to get resentful of the whole situation because I don't get anything for me. And when you kind of fill that cup again, and then you can go back out into the world and give and um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the self-love there. Yeah, That's- and I think to the other part of your question, too, about, like, why now? You know, it's a question that we ask ourselves a lot is why now? Why are people, you know, more inclined to do things like floating and yoga and all these more holistic practices or going out and seeking out products that don't have a bunch of chemicals in them or, or eating better or going vegan or whatever the reason uh, whatever that specific uh, person is kind of seeking. Um, and it kind of, for for us, you know, our name, float.com, like it is that play on words. And it kind of, for us, made sense My with the technology background that I have. And I've always been a bit of a computer geek, um, you know, kind of relating how, technology and the internet and social media is is shaping uh society and things like that it's important um it's important that we don't completely lose ourselves in the technology world um and but at the same time without this technology you know we have better access to information now than we ever have as a species so people are now able to educate themselves on these alternate things and they don't have to rely on, uh, you know, very single sources of information like their general practitioner or their friend who's a chiropractor or whatever people of authority and they can make, they can go out and seek information and try to judge for themselves what will work for them. There's a double-edged sword there for sure because you can have charlatans that try to take advantage of people and try to, you know, sell snake oil and stuff like that. And absolutely, there's risks in that as well. But I think that um, the reason why floating itself has started to, over the past eight to ten years, has started to regain in popularity um, is because of technology and because of social media and because people are able to get messages out there quickly and easily and then people are able to find them and consume them and 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 make decisions for themselves you know and and try to help themselves in their in their everyday life yeah i think technology is great in so many ways but then the pendulum has a little bit too far in 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 the wrong direction and we need to bring ourselves back a little bit learning to use it as a tool yes and and also the meaningful use of it too i mean Mm -hmm. there are so many great aspects of it the fact that we can educate each other and we can learn what's happening at all corners of the globe but now it's yeah it has sucked us in and and it becomes this this addiction for people um and i know that i've you know you you can sometimes sense yourself when you start to you, you spend way too much time on your phone checking your feed even though nothing's happening or every other minute you go back to your phone. And, and so there's something about that, that time being alone, even floating is especially, like being alone with your thoughts but purposefully either relaxing, finding some sort of balance. Yeah. So if you are a busy type, somebody who works 
nine to five or beyond. I mean, our, our world typically, you know, the office hours don't always finish. Yeah. You're checking emails at night or maybe there's some big project happening. So there's just this constant bombardment because people can reach you all the time. So finding that balance now seems more important than ever before. And it seems that there's also now a lot of different ways that people can do this. And, and this seems to be a, a tool that can be used as part of that as well, which is really interesting. The fact that like there's all these different, I had a, a cool experience that I wanted to share too, because I actually, I, I, I let my mind go blank and all of a sudden I had some wisdom come up. I thought about sort of the catastrophes that have happened in my life. And, and so everybody has hardship. Everybody goes through some difficult things, difficult times. And I came up with the wisdom that your beautiful catastrophe, I'll try and say it better, your beautiful <laughs> catastrophes lead you to your bliss. Yeah. And I thought that that was, if I left with nothing else but that wisdom, and it's, so it's even accepting those things that you've been through uh, and those quote unquote negative things that maybe lead you down a, a, a dark path, for lack of a better term, or even just a, a path away from yourself, there is, there is that way back, and it also can lead you to a place where you need to be, which, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite um, authors, Glennon Doyle, she's fantastic. She always says that life is brutal and beautiful at the same time, and so she always says life is brutal. And, and I, <laughs> I, like I, I often feel that um, people that have been through some of the darkest times often end up being some of my, mo my most favorite people because they come out of it so much better versions of themselves with so much more self-awareness and, um, and, and, um, and yeah, they're the, some of the deepest people often, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. The wisdom, yeah. that wisdom word that you said, yeah, it's interesting. And, and like with the, with, with technology, I always look at technology, like you said, it's a tool, it's pretty agnostic. It doesn't care. Your computer's mm -hmm. going to sit there. If you don't touch it, it's still going to sit there. It's not going to do anything. Um, and a float tank is just another form of technology. It's just a technology. It's a tool. And you can use that tool in different ways. I use it a lot personally for exploring ideas and solutions to problems. And like you said, when you sit and do nothing, it's amazing kind of what stuff comes up without trying and so when i describe this to people who ask me like what do you how much do you float what do you use a float tank for and i describe it i i use it a lot like a tool to help problem solve and find solutions and i don't try hard to do it i just simply have an idea or a problem that i'm trying to solve and i just plant it and go in and try to forget about it and ultimately those solutions or wisdom or whatever you want to call it they bubble up out of the subconscious or out of you know I, I don't know where they come up and that's what's really cool about it because you do you get out of the float tank and for me i'm like oftentimes i'll just sit and i'll just write for like 20 minutes just trying to barf out everything that kind of came up during during that float and, and it doesn't happen every time but when it does happen it can come like a tidal wave and you're like it, you know, yeah. I think there's a... You're such the ideas guy in it's, the it, Yeah. He comes out and I'm always like, did you solve world hunger today? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so great. You know, it's a, it's a really unique, uh, it's a really unique environment for, for problem solving. And, you know, there's some universities now um, 
that have uh, installed float tanks in like their locker rooms and stuff like that. University of Ohio, I believe it is. Um, they've started floating their women's soccer team, specifically their women's soccer team, because women are more susceptible to social stresses and peer pressure, and um, and they're more likely to like succumb to the stresses of having, you know, being a full-time university student, which is stressful enough, and then also being a very high-level athlete. Um, and so they started floating them and then taking blood samples and doing um, blood cortisol, your stress hormone, tests. And they found that the, sec- the, the subgroup of uh, women that were floating had lower cortisol levels, lower stress, and then they correlate that to their uh, grades, they have better grades, they have lower dropout rates, their athletic performance is better. And uh, it's, it's really cool that something so simple as a float tank can offer people just like a, literally a better kind of quality of life from just taking that time to sit and do nothing. So is there a time you wish you had this as a tool in your life that you, that you didn't? So floating... Mm-hmm. and sensory deprivation as a tool that you could use in life? I wish I had it a lot, long, <laughs> a long time ago, but I think, you know, everything in hindsight, you know. Everything in its time Everything for in a its reason. time for a reason, you know. Like, I don't think yeah. uh, if it would have come up earlier in my life, probably wouldn't have been in a position to actually. Or be ready for or it. Or be ready for it. You know, you you change when you grow and you get older and your interests evolve and and um, I don't think I, pro- I probably when I was 20, if I would have heard about it or whatever, I probably would have thought it was stupid. You may have been like, I like been going like, blindfolded into the situation, not knowing and creating a hot mess for yourself. That, yeah, that, that or I, yeah, I just would have been hypercritical of it. You know, my, myself, I'm always a very, like Leah says, like, it's important to ask questions and and make sure that you're not being sucked into something. Um you know, that is uh, maybe too hippy-dippy or a bit, uh, you know, there's nothing, no foundation uh, to it. And uh, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it myself. I'm really happy that, you know, we found floating and that we're able to, you know, create a place that offers it to people. Mm -hmm. It's really a huge privilege. And I think just the more stories that we pick up over the years of our, our floaters, and they come in, it just becomes that much more rewarding um, because then we can share those stories with other people then they can relate to them because I think that's, you know, that's totally. something that people need is they need something to relate to. And um, we are not, you know, I think one of the cha- one of the challenges with, with floating is um, uh, it's, it's perception, right? Everything is perception and perception of it being this hippy dippy thing this new agey woo woo whatever thing and um that's not us at all we're not hippy dippy we're not woo woo we do we you know have we had meditation and yoga practices in the past for sure do i consider those things hippy dippy no because i'm going to point to the science that people have done and the studies that they've done to show empirically that these things are not just Hippy dippy woo. There's actually long stemming benefits from things like mindfulness and stuff like that. So I'm always one to try to root and ground things in, in, 
in, in science, I'm, I'm very much, that's just how my brain works. I have mm -hmm. trouble not, uh, or I have trouble just believing in things just purely on um, what one person says or faith or whatever you want to call it. And it's, I think it's important that people do take up a practice of questioning things um, so it, that they can. It seems like you guys are very transparent too with it. And, and mm -hmm. it, it's not like you're hiding anything. And it's like science is against this or anything. Like the proof is right in, right in the front of your shop, mm -hmm. right? There's that study right there. If you want to read into That's it. That's the it's, newest one too. Yeah. And there's like, I got a whole. from early 2018, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. from February. And that's specifically on the anxiety uh, reducing effects. And that's a short term study. So it was done. They took 50 anxious participants uh, this is done, by the way, at, at a, a center called LIBOR, the Laureate Institute for Brain Research in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they have, uh, they've created what they call their float lab there. So they have two big custom-made float tanks with a bunch of monitoring equipment that they can monitor. Um, they have an fMRI uh, functional um, you know, brain imaging uh, machine down the hall that they have access to. They have a wireless EEG head mount machine so they can measure your brain waves. They have a wireless blood pressure cuff. They have a wireless uh, heart rate uh, variability measuring device. And uh, they've been doing research for about almost four years now. We've been to the float conference five times and five times in six years because we missed one year. And uh, Dr. Justin Feinstein, who's the lead uh, doctor at this research center, has been using all this equipment and uh, designing studies with some other uh, doctors there on different things. He himself specializes in anxiety disorders, so that's what the first study was about. And it was 50 anxious participants. They all went for a single session, and they did uh, a standardized tests that psychologists use to measure anxiety levels. They did it before and then after. And they saw every single, there wasn't one person out of the 50 that didn't see a dramatic decrease. Oh in the anxiety level after a single session. And then in the study, it goes into some of the physiological functions that were, you know, your heart rate variability increases, which is a, a good sign of, of um, uh, how your heart is able to, like, uh, uh, compensate for your environment and what you're physically going through. Uh, it showed their brain waves and all, the, all this really interesting uh, stuff. And through that study, they now got some funding from the NIH, uh, the National Institute of Health in the States, to do a more longitudinal study on the anxiety-reducing uh, effects that this environment can have on a person, um, which is awesome because every float center owner out there has got stories like ours where they have people who come in and they're so nervous, so anxious about life, they can't even make eye contact with you when you're when you're talking with them. They're they're just like a, in a shell of themselves, and they go in after one session, and it's like a different person comes out of that float tank. They're all chatty. They're making all the eye contact, giggles. giggles. Yeah. They're sometimes like, I wonder, like, if they even realize like the 180 that they've done. It's phenomenal to see. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and and you know we're we're we are we're really privileged that we get to offer this to people and. And I think the the benefits of something like this are almost, um, uh, to quote kind of Joe Rogan, he does a really good job at like, you know, describing floating. And if float tanks were like this ride at Disney where they strapped you in and they told you they were going to shoot you to the center of the universe. Consciousness. 
yeah, or the center <laughs> of your consciousness, that the line would be a mile long. And because it's a simple kind of strange, almost scary, uh, you know, device that isn't designed in a way that reduces stimulus coming in to, you know, as close to nothing as possible. Um, it has a bit of a, there's a bit of a barrier there for a lot of people to, to kind of get over. When I got into the tank and once I started laying there, the, it, it almost felt like my knee depressurized. So it, it kind of just relaxed. And when I got out, I felt like I was walking better. Is there a lot of uh, science to back up, like the physical benefits of floating? There is. Um, <clears throat> there's a really small study. I can't remember what university it was, where they were they were doing um, uh, what is it called lactic acid in in your in your blood. So they were taking athletes and they were taking blood draws and doing lactic acid measurements. Um, before and after float sessions, and they showed that going into a float tank can reduce lactic acid in the blood and in turn can decrease recovery time for things like muscles and stuff that, you know, if you're somebody who works out or whatever, you're building up a lot of lactic acid in your muscles, you're a trainer, right? Yeah. So it will help people decrease recovery time. Anecdotally, we can also say that too because we do have a lot of athletes that come into us specifically for the physical uh, relief that they can get and to decrease their recovery time. Um, and chronic pain. And chronic pain. But cro- I was going to say chronic pain is probably, it's one of the, it's one of the big chunks of people that come in to see us. 100%. Um, and like with your knee, I don't know exactly. That could be a combination of that um, in the, in the float world, they call it like the anti-gravity effect. Obviously, you can't get away from gravity on Earth. But in a float tank, you feel kind of weightless. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really neat sensation because your body weight's spread out over the surface of the, of the solution. And so that can help your joints decompress over that time that you're in there. And by doing that, you're going to get some better blood circulation in there. If there's inflammation that's causing issues, it's going to help clear some of that stuff out faster. And then the Epsom salt with that magnesium sulfate, it's going to help some of those those supporting muscles and stuff around there or compensating muscles. If you're somebody who has an injury, you know, oftentimes you'll have an injury on one side of your body and then you'll overcompensate it with the other and you'll end up messing up the other side. Um, it will help some of those compensating and other muscles relax. And this is why people have been having Epsom salt baths for forever and they still do because it does, it tends to the help your relax. muscles relax. And so a flow tank is like the ultimate Epsom salt I feel um, like it would be a huge benefit for a lot of people who have office jobs, for example, who have these crazy postural problems that developed over years and years yeah. of sitting oh, yeah. at a desk, right? 100%. I was like a computer guy. I worked in an office for almost 15 years. And um, my first float, I had a wicked headache <clears throat> the night of my first float because, and we say to this day, it's like I was fighting the float. I was not, you know, I'm not somebody who can just go into a swimming pool or a lake and just like lay back and relax and, and flow to my back effortlessly. It's a strange sensation and my, my butt sinks and I'm, and I'm, I'm done um, in a float tank. That's just not possible. So my first float, I, I probably unconsciously didn't fully trust that the solution would support my body and my head. So I was holding tension in my neck for the whole session and as a result, I had a wicked headache that night. And so this is a very common, uh, very common thing. 
Well, I wouldn't say have. people that it's common that people have headaches. No, afterwards. it's a very common thing that your first float, it's very like, yeah, it's a especially strange if, sensation. Yeah, especially if you're not used to the sensation of being able to float like you, um, you know, like you said, not having faith that the water is going to support you completely and just realizing that you, you just need to let your head go and you're totally fine. But yeah. pe- that's a weird thing for people to do if they've never been able to float before. So, yeah, um, it's interesting. Like the physical benefits. And this kind of comes back to your point, uh, Riley, like about um, people will come into float for different reasons. One of them is the physical benefit, whether it's they've been suffering from a chronic pain, whether it's from injury, fibromyalgia, like a nerve uh, issue. We've had guests as young as like 12 who've had multiple spinal surgeries come in to get away from gravity because they're in just constant chronic pain all the time. And then what happens a lot is over time, they will use the float tank as a tool to help manage their pain. Or in some cases, depending on the ailment, um, I'm thinking of um, the, the one lady there who had Bell's palsy. Yes. And so she had, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bell's palsy, it's a neuro- neurological issue where half your face becomes paralyzed and it can be very painful. She was coming in like every day. Yeah. for multiple weeks and she was able to i wouldn't say like it wasn't floating wasn't the only thing she was doing um she was also taking medication and stuff like that of some kind um but her friends would ask her like you're looking so much better what are you doing and she was like i'm just floating man i'm just doing the float that's all i'm doing and um what happens is people who have a acute issue with pain, they'll end, they'll end up kind of transitioning out of their coming into floating for pain relief. And they'll now come into float for different reasons. And oftentimes people tend to have this interesting arc in their float practice where it goes from treating a very acute thing like anxiety, pain, and it almost ends up turning into an, a spiritual practice. It's very interesting. And, and, you know, we talk about this all the time. I'm like, you know, would I consider myself a religious person? No. Would I consider myself a spiritual person? Probably. And probably a lot more than I was 10 years ago. And without a doubt, it's because of a float tank. And, and when you explain that to people, it's a really difficult thing to, um, to conceptualize for them. Um, because when you're in there, and, and you said it, and that was not words that we said that you repeated, but those words that you said are pretty much the exact same thing I've said before, is that you, ha- you get this interesting connected feeling when you're in a float tank. You feel connected with everybody and everything, even though you are not being connected with anything. And it's really interesting how that happens, and I can't explain it. Um, I can't explain the reason why, but it's something that happens all the time for our guests. And some people do have almost, they'll describe it as feeling like out-of-body experiences. What is that? Can science explain that? Nope. That is the, you know, the phenomenology of the float experience. It's unique to that person. And I can't deny that they're having that experience. They say they're having it. I'm like, then they did. Then you're having it. Yeah. That woman that um, had Bell's palsy. And I remember her, and one of the most beautiful things about that experience is, um, you know, the thing that upset her the most, she ended up off on disability off work because she just, 
um, she couldn't work anymore, and that took her to a dark place. And she said the thing that she missed most was her smile because, you know, like you said, like half of her face was paralyzed. And through floating um, pretty much every day or every second day for a, a period of time, I physically got to watch her smile come back. And it was just so beautiful to see because she just started getting better and better and better. And, um, and, and I love that story because you physically got to see the change in someone because of what she specifically was dealing with. And um, to speak to your comment too about floating for people who work in office environments, we actually have a, a blog post on our website specifically about that, um, floating for people who work in the office space. Because yeah, we're not our, our bodies aren't meant to sit for eight plus hours a day. It's kind of like goes against everything. It's unfortunate. It's that's un the case. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and you've improved a lot, your body, just from not being in that situation yeah. anymore and floating all the time as well. Yeah, exactly. It shows the interconnectivity. Even the, the holistic approach seems to be gaining steam, and, and it shows that a lot of these examples, whether it's Jace or the Bell's palsy person that's come in, um, or even those personal journeys, it shows that there is an interconnectivity about the holistic wellness of a person. So the physical can be tied to the emotional, the, the intellectual, and the spiritual as well. And that's very much how I've started to weigh things in my life and the world. It just seems to be it, those things in the different realms seem to affect everything. And it's all this, this interconnected, whatever you are, that's, that's interconnected. And so it, it makes sense that when you become more connected to yourself and and maybe get to accept the pain a little bit more or sort through some of the emotional things tied to it or even intellectually sort through problems that are happening surrounding it, that spiritually you're able to feel better, you're able to smile again, you're able to feel more fully yourself, even in those, those cases where maybe it's something that's affected you long-term or will continue to affect you long-term. But if you're able to accept where you are, again, going back to the same point, but when you're able to accept what you're going through, those feelings, those emotions, you can get back to that place where you feel fulfilled and you feel happy again, which shows just it's it's great to see that type of progress and the fact that this can have that effect on people. Yeah, all those different pillars you're talking about, your physical, your mental, your spiritual, like they're all different legs of our chair, if you think about it that way. And, you know, if we aren't balanced, our chair is not going to stand up properly. It's not going to support us properly going to be a hot mess, right? So it's important to kind of give attention to all those different legs of our chair and to give attention to them and make sure that um, they're balanced out. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I like to look at it. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, I think that people can relate to that in terms of, yeah, an uncertain chair is going to fall. So yeah. it, I, I don't think that we're all that different from that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to know if there's any books that have helped you along the way, um, either in floating or in terms of life. Um, we do have the Book of Floating at the Center. Uh, it's a fantastic book um, written by Michael Hutchinson. Michael Hutchinson. Not yeah. the goalie. Not the goalie, no. <laughs> Good call, though. I am familiar with that. Um, and it's a great book as well. It dives into um, kind of what's going on inside of us when we're in the float environment in, in different ways and different aspects. And so it's a really great read. Yeah, it pulls in a little bit of science that was done at the time because it was, I think, oh God, I should know the exact publishing date, but it was in the 80s. 
And so there was some legit scientific work that had been done, but it also talks about some of the more ethereal kind of things that are hard to pin down to like empirical data and things like that. Um, and it, it's really easy to read because it was written by a journalist. He wanted to do an article for, I think it was like either the New York Times or yeah. something on floating. And he started to like, this is this is in the 80s because uh, it was in New York. And he started to go around to these little float centers that had started popping up. And uh, he just kind of got immersed in the community. And he's like, holy man, like this is really cool. And so he just gathered so much information, he decided to write a whole book about it. So that's a good one as far as floating goes yeah. um, to learn about. I don't know if there's other books that you wanted to mention. Well, I like you. anything by Brené Brown. That's just kind of, um, oh, yeah. you know, she really kind of helps people work through their own stuff and give you different ways to question yourself. Um, as I mentioned, Glennon Doyle before, her book Love Warrior is awesome. I think she's fantastic. Um those are the books that I tend to like to read. What about you? I like, yeah, I definitely, you know, the one that comes to mind immediately for whatever reason is Stealing Fire, um, which is just about, it's about the flow state um, that people can achieve. And it's just fascinating, you know, the more that we learn about, uh, the more that we learn about physics and the brain and stuff like that, how you can draw these very interesting parallels to, um Two, two almost spiritual practices. And I, I really like linking the two things together, that, that kind of left brain, right brain, spiritual and, uh, and scientific world. I think the more that we learn just as a species about that stuff, um, uh, I think it's, it's showing us that we do have to have that balance in our lives. We can't just be completely science brain or completely hippie woo spiritual brain like there there has to be some correlation in order for us to kind of make progress um that one immediately comes to mind i don't know why mm -hmm. it was an okay book um i did like it um trying to think of some other ones that i really like i keep meaning to read Brene brown's daring greatly yeah. and it's just one of those ones so that i haven't got around to yet but i will in the very near future. She's so great. I, I sit with her books with uh, sticky notes and a highlighter and just like have at it. And then I'll like, oh, dude, I've got to read you this part. Oh, dude, I've got to read you this part. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like you, you like you just sit there and it just kind of blows your mind, all this stuff that, it, you know, it just makes you sit and just think about. The thing I love about her is she brings her own story to the table and, and she's not afraid to admit her own hot messes and how she kind of, you know, in a situation, maybe she dealt with it this way when she knows she should do this, but this is her go-to way of kind of behaving in life and just challenging her own self and trying to change those behaviors in herself, and which makes it super relatable. I think if you approach a topic that you've already achieved greatness in that topic, people aren't going to listen to you because they'll never get there. But if you approach a topic talking about your own hot messes, people are down like a clown with that stuff, hey? Yeah. Relatability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So along the same lines, what is the biggest obstacle you've either had to overcome with the business or yourselves individually? Um, I think just from the business standpoint, like um, we're first-time business owners, and I think um, that just brings its own challenges just in learning and stuff like that. Being a female business owner is also brought on different challenges that I maybe wasn't expecting. Um, and maybe some of them I give to myself just as a societal kind of 
dictated behavior and some of them have kind of, you know, jumped out and grabbed me things I wasn't expecting, um, you know, but as far as, you know, just floating in general, you know, just the education piece and helping people get past themselves, I think, you know, um, helping people to see the barriers and the, and the comfort zone that they're creating around them, um, in a way that is like, you know, loving and accepting, but at the same time challenging them, uh, without being offensive. Uh, it really is, is that's yeah. a, that, that can be a challenge sometimes. I just like, think like if everybody in the world floated on a regular basis, how much more calm and relaxed and accepting we, of we would other. be absolutely, absolutely. And wouldn't that be phenomenal? Yeah. Like one of our, you know, underlying philosophies of our, just our business and our mission or more our vision, I guess, um, that we had kind of going into this world uh, of of a f- owning a float center and, and where that takes us is as long as we are, you know, helping people be more compassionate people in the world, then we're doing our job. That's kind of like the overarching thing. And, and, and not just with other people, but also with themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And being okay with your, you know, your flaws and all those you know, everything that, you know, makes each of us unique. And uh, those things, you know, I think Leah may have said it before, but the most interesting people are the ones that have the flaws and they have the the edges, the rough edges on them. And those are often the most interesting people that have the most, pers- the, the broadest perspective and, and they're able to offer uh, the most. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's really, it's really fun to, get to know some of those people for sure. Yeah. I also wanted to know if you had any advice for somebody wanting to make a positive change in their life, what would you say to them? Um, I would say whatever you're going to do, make sure you can make it sustainable and you can stick to it. Start small. You know, if you want to change your eating habits, you want to eat less crap or less meat or whatever, then or you have friends that are going vegan and you're you're vegetarian or whatever it is, just do one day a week to begin. Move yeah. and 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 work your way from there. But whatever you do, don't just uh, don't just go all out because you're gonna, especially with things like physical fitness and working out, you're gonna get so sore. You're either gonna make yourself sick or you're gonna be like, what did I do? And now I'm injured or hurt. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, the, you're the man to talk to about this, not me. <laughs> yeah. but, so, but you're right. Zero to 100 results in failure yeah, most of the time. Small, yeah. attainable things, and then celebrate those yeah. little milestones because yeah. the little milestones are what make up the big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what do you hope people will achieve during their time floating? Um, I think just a better connection with themselves and whatever that is that they need because we're all different, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of, you know, what the Flow Center does. It, it gives people a gift of themselves back to themselves. Um, and we're disconnected in different ways from ourselves. And so um, I, I think that would be what I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always tell people not to go in with huge expectations, especially their first, uh, their first few floats. Your first float is rarely your best float. Sometimes it's a hot mess. Sometimes you're busy, you're bouncing off the walls, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I like this or I can't do this. And, and, and just that, like Leah says, that self-realization of 
this is how my body and my mind experience life in general. It's just when you're in a float tank, it's kind of magnified because there's nothing coming in. And so people like to make excuses or they like to get angry, almost like that we did something to them or that the float tank did something. And it's like the float tank's job is to do nothing. It's a mirror to yourself. And all yeah. everything that happens in there is a product of what's happening in your mind. And so for people to have some kind of realization that they have some control over their own life, their behavior, their moods, their happiness, if you know, I think that was what I want people to ultimately get to is that they have uh, they have some level of control over themselves. You can't control what everybody in your life is doing or what's going on in the world around you. The only thing you have some control over is your your own person. And, uh, and the float tank is like a little amplifier that kind of makes you really aware because it turns the volume up a little bit on what's going on inside your head and inside your person. And like you said, not going in with expectations. We had um, someone tell us recently that um, you know, way back they had brought a friend in with them for their first float. Someone who had been floating with us regularly brought a friend in and his friend came out of his float and he was really frustrated because he didn't have any hallucinations. And I, and I think that that's <laughs> totally hilarious because it's almost goes to speaking to our, you know, Disneyland way that we kind of approach life. Like there's supposed to be the, the, the big fireworks at the end and that's not the point. And, you know, some people do have hallucinations, absolutely. And the, the, the most hilarious and best part of that is that you can't force those things in the whole thing is those things come when you're um, in letting go. And if you spend your whole float working to hallucinate, like you're guaranteeing that it's not going to happen and that you came out frustrated, I, I just think you're missing the point altogether. So, yeah, it's all just in the, in the hardest thing sometimes is letting go. And that's the art of it all, right? Yeah. I found it was an advanced form of meditation. And funny enough, when you were talking, I thought of how tarot has been that in my own life. So it's something that, a practice I've only done for about a year, but similarly, it, you said the mirror to the, uh, mirror to the self or the to mind. Yourself, yeah. To yeah. the mind is what you said. And tarot, the one that I use is the mirror to the soul. Mm. So it's, it's very much, it's that same thing. It's putting cards and it's just really meditative and reading into your own life. And so yeah. it's cool to see that there's different ways of attaining the same state of self-awareness yeah. and just realizing maybe it's your place in that moment. Maybe it's that place where you're trying to get to. Maybe it's all of that encapsulated in one. But yeah, I, I, I saw the juxtaposition and it's funny because it's another thing that I didn't see previous to that too. So finally, I wanted to know what the main goal you hope to achieve with float.com and are you on track to achieving it? I think the, the main goal. Um, the, or one of the many. One of the many. <laughs> I think, you know, like I was saying before, like one, kind of our overarching vision is, yeah, to make people um, more compassionate in the world to others, themselves, the environment. Animals. Like that. Animals. Um, that, I would say, uh, is definitely an overarching goal. And, you know, it's um, that's a really abstract thing. Like, that's a hard thing to measure. 
um, you know, coming, you know, in the business world, everybody wants to measure everything and turn everything into a metric that you can uh, measure your past performance against. And um, for us, that's just more of a compass. It just kind of keeps us pointed, uh, hopefully, in the right direction. And in the many, many chats we've had with, you know, a lot of our guests, um, I think, I, I feel it's more of probably a feeling kind of measurement is, yeah, I feel like we're achieving some of that goal slowly but surely, whether it's just a little anecdotal story about somebody being like, yeah, like I got on my float and, you know, I went and got in my car and somebody cut me off and I was like, oh, that's fine. Wasn't even mad Wasn't about even it. mad about it. it was so relaxed. They didn't just, even realize. Yeah. And, and if you can just do those, make those little changes that carry with people, um, throughout their day and, and uh, that they can then reflect back on, um, then I think you're doing something. Doing something you're good. Doing we're doing something good. It's, you know, as we said earlier, we're just celebrating our, uh, our fourth anniversary and we're just about to start our fourth journal at the center. So we have a journal out at the center um, that people can, if they want to share about their float experiences, they can, uh, they can share. And it's great because... Um, it allows people to share, but it also gives people an opportunity to read other people's experiences. And so, so far, we uh, have three completely full journals. We're about wow. to start our fourth. So yeah. um, as far as being able to measure if we've been able to impact people's lives, I think... That's a good yardstick. I like that. I, I think... The journals are really cool. Yeah. And I always joke that, you know, some people think they're philosophers coming out of a float. Because some of the stuff you read in those journals, you're like... Whoa. They're, they're, like, they're like these, I, uh, you know, head-exploding... Um, you know, insights yeah. that some people have. And uh, some of them are really powerful. We've had people read them and mm-hmm. start crying. We've had people walk into a float room and start crying. Yeah, One of our very first guests, not one of our, our very first guest ever was two days before we were open. And this is a very interesting story. We were literally, there's tools all over the place. We're like trying to get the place set up. It's the 11th hour. It's just nuts. And we just, I think the day before, got our float tanks filled with, you know, the Epsom salt solution. And, and they were, you know, I think we maybe floated once to test them out, but everything is, you know, very raw and crude. And we're in the front area and we hear a knock on the window and there's a woman there, and she's like, "Oh my God, are you guys open?" No, what she had said is, "Do you guys do? Are, um, do you guys have those sensory deprivation tanks?" Like I tried one years ago when I was in Edmonton or something like that, and I said, "Yeah, that, that's what we do here." And she's like, "Can I come and float?" And she had just taken her car across the street to Caltire. Um, she had had a week long of hot messes that led up to it was everything right, it was, was it uh right around the ebola scare there in africa and she works in that she 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 has a anyway she she's involved in the in the lab and she had a really stressful week just a lot of that and uh, like her and work life and some stuff, personal yeah. things as well and um she was just feeling like a bit of a hot mess and i and i told her i said we're actually not even open yet for business i said um but you know what like, if you're okay if coming in and there's tools all over the place and all that kind of stuff then I, I think we can get you in for a float. She goes, I, I can't even tell you how much I need this and how much it would mean to me. So we brought her in and, um, you know, uh, Brad took her back for her float. And as soon as she walked into the float room, she just started crying because she just needed it so bad. And she was so grateful and excited to be there. And she came out just this completely, like, new version of herself. And um, 
she wrote a haiku on our chalkboard wall. And that's become like her signature thing that she does. And ironically, she's in for float this evening. And she's been floating with us ever since. And every time she comes in, um, she's a very creative person. And she's an artist. She's a musician. And she always writes a a post-float haiku on our chalkboard wall. It's very interesting that she's actually in floating tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so our very first guest was before we were even open, so I think that that's kind of funny. That's fantastic, and yeah. I think that kind of speaks to itself that you've had someone come before you were even open, and they're still going to this day. You know, and it was great for us, too. I, I think that fed us as much as it fed her, because when you're in the 11th hour, um, and you're like, good God, I could use a float, and you can't even float yet because you're not open. Like, <laughs> and, you, and you've invested, you know, a huge so, part of yourself and your savings and everything yeah, and into you're this tired thing, and, and you're like, I hope this works. And it... <laughs> Yeah, and it just kind of helped revitalize all the reasons why we were doing what we were doing. And so Mm -hmm. it was really the best thing that could have happened probably for both of us so that when we did, like, two days later, have our opening day, like, we were just ready for it in in all other capacities, for sure. You can call it chance, but it's really cool to see how sometimes the universe or whatever powers that be sort of answer that. And and so that, that chaos of opening a business, but then having that rewarding experience of, well, for, for that woman of having the float and then for you seeing her and how it transformed her and transformed her days. So that's yeah. that's amazing to have that as part of your story and experience too. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So to conclude, uh, I did want to know where we can find float.com and what you would like to share with our viewers and listeners. Yeah, for sure. So like you said, we're on we're on Pemina Highway, 337 Pemina Highway, about three blocks down from uh, Cordon Avenue. Uh, we have five float tanks at our center, so we always encourage people to book, uh, book with a friend. It's a lot of fun. You're in your own separate room, but you know because we are so close to Court and Osborne, go out for a drink or dinner afterwards. Um, we have a lot of information on our website, which is uh, floatcom. That's floatcalm.com. And uh, all of our social media channels, our uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're really active on. And... Um, for anybody who's listening too, if they want to get ten percent off their first uh, their first float session too, use the discount code B the change, and uh, and they can use that in our online store or in the shop, whatever works for them, and they can uh, come in and get a discount on their first float. Yeah, awesome. and we'll post links on the video as well yep. to that too. Uh, and as always, we're B the change. You can find us on social media at B the change YPS. Uh, if you ha- ever have anything for us. Whether it's information or potential guests, you can email us at info at bethechangeyps.com. Not the old one with a bunch of dots before that. And in between the words, info at bethechangeyps.com. I can't think of any announcements. I may have one soon because I think I'm going to donate all my hair to cancer wigs at the end of the year. Riley um, without long hair? Riley without long hair. It's been a long process. I can't but picture I that into a hashtag, Riley without long hair. <laughs> Riley hashtag, Riley without long hair. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you're listening or viewing this podcast. Uh, and just closing thoughts, I really wanted to thank you two for joining us and, and for the float experience. It was awesome to just have that release, but it's even better to to have you here and have this conversation and just get to know more about yourselves and your story and just the power of floating and just meeting like-minded people that, that have, that want to help people and are having that impact on the world. It's just, it's awesome. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Guys. Thank yeah. you so much for having I, us. And I really look forward to my next float, especially after the 
anxiety around it is all gone. I yeah. mean, Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> That's the so first, first place yeah, hitters once, are normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once you know what to expect, now you can start peeling the, the onion layers away and just Perfect. getting deeper into it. All so right. once again, thanks you. Thank, thank you. you, Lee and Brad. Bye, listeners, cool. viewers. Take care.